Welcome to the Bomb Squad Podcast, where we talk about Mission Impossible! Mission Impossible! This bit failed so hard. Wow, you got the you got you got the theme. You got this the theme rolled. perfectly. This rolls. No, that's staying in. Hi, I'm Taylor <laughs> Richard Kraft. Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Joseph Rennick, and this is a biscuit. I'm Rain Conversi, and this is a hat. This dude's eating. <laughs> this dude's eating on our podcast. Speaking of eating, uh, Ethan Hawker has died, so he could not make it onto this podcast. I'm kidding. He's not dead. He specifically scheduled construction on his house, so he wouldn't be caught dead talking about something that isn't anime. Um, but <laughs> he requested I tell this story, so I just want to get it out of the way because it is not actually about the first Mission Impossible movie at all. But he really wanted me to tell this story. Oh, Mission Impossible? That's what we're talking about today? Shut the fuck up. Anyway, um, <laughs> the story... When Ethan and I, this is the story of the first time Ethan and I hung out outside of work. Movie Pass. This was the day <laughs> Movie Pass shit hit the fan. They were disabling accounts. They were disabling cards. They weren't releasing funds. But if you went to a Movie Pass partnered theater, you could still use it. So there was a theater 30 minutes out of way, all the way out in Wentzville, I think. It was really far away where... There was a theater that was playing Mission Impossible that was actually partnered with MoviePass. And I was at work being like, yo, can anyone take me to this movie? It's like 30 minutes out of the way. And Ethan volunteers because he's a good man. And I guess at this point I had sufficiently Stockholm Syndrome enough into thinking I'm a good person. So he drives me 30 minutes out of the way to the theater. We get there. I buy my ticket. And then I immediately walk away to the concession stand. I don't buy him a ticket for giving me a 30 minute ride. I just immediately go to buy some popcorn. And when he po- and when he asked me, yo, why didn't you buy me a ticket? And I was like, oh, I don't have that much money. I'll have a large soda, a large popcorn. <laughs> Got my concessions. <laughs> and then we went and watched the movie. Tanner, you use Ethan for a ride so that he could not see Mission Impossible with you. Oh, no, he bought his own ticket. Okay. He, bought, he still saw the movie, and he, uh, I remember this was the latest one. This was Mission Impossible Fallout. I don't think he liked it, but uh, that was the first time him and I hang out. And then immediately on the ride home, I talked to him. So when I was like 17, I was racist, right? So I don't know why he's still my friend. <laughs> Taryn, when are you getting that friend of the year award? I, <laughs> 2029. But yes, Ethan demanded I, I tell that story. So here we are. You know, Ethan, it's it's funny you say the word Ethan. It reminds me of the word Ethan Hunt, uh, which reminds me of the word Mission Impossible 1996, which reminds me that that was a, a movie that um, I'm going to talk about eventually after you guys yes. talk about. But before we talk about this one, I just want to quickly touch on what are your guys' prior history with the Mission Impossible franchise? Previous movies you've watched enjoyed history of the franchise was this your first time watching this one i don't think it's the case for any of us but still just prior history of the franchise really briefly like give me in three minutes or less joe first uh so i have been a fan of this series i want to say around like when three came out is when i started watching these movies and i've honestly been a fan ever since i I would actually say that this is my favorite action movie series i I, I like it better than uh indiana jones i like it better than fast and furious 
I like it better than John Wick, even. And Tanner's face says it all. One of these <laughs> things is not like the others. Well, they, they are action movies, damn it. Well, no, Fast and Furious, though. What? You're like, Fast legendary f- action franchise, legendary action franchise. Cars in space! It's an action franchise, Tanner. Yeah, yeah we're talking about this one. Yeah, but it's the sillier one. That's why I think it's funny. Yeah, no, what are you talking about, Tanner, you you idiot? Not you. <laughs> you know what I fucking meant. Don't treat me like I'm stupid. Mission Impossible, it, it's probably... Well, no, it is my favorite action franchise. I've loved it since... It's 2006, right, when 3 came out? And I want to say the worst that that series has gotten for me is with uh, Mission Impossible 2, where I think it is just very, very, very okay. I mean, that's also the movie where Tom Cruise throws a pair of sunglasses at the camera and they explode into the title, so... Am I too? Yeah, Am I too? The second worst Mission Impossible movie. Oh, interesting. Oh, really? What do you think is the worst? Oh, well, it's the one that everyone knows is the worst. Three. Three is not the worst. Oh, it's easily the worst. That's what I've always heard. I haven't seen two or three, but I've always heard three is the worst one. That's because it is. Three is not the worst. Joe's wrong. It is the worst. Three is not the worst. There's actually we're cutting off Joe V. He's going to stop the propaganda. We need to stop the J.J. Abrams propaganda. Hey, Austin, (laughs) I hate you, Tanner. (laughs) Prior history with the franchise. The first Mission Impossible movie I ever saw was Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. Mine too. Yeah, it had been a long time since Mission Impossible 3, and I just never got around to those movies. And I always hear, I, I always heard back in the day that it left, it ended on a sour note, that Mission Impossible 3 was too over the top, too goofy, or it just didn't work somehow. So then I go to see Mission Impossible 4 just because I'm bored, and I really like Tom Cruise, because when I was younger, I, I really got into Minority Report. It was one of my, like, favorite movies as a teenager. And so I go to see Mission Impossible 4, and it turns out that it's another Brad Bird movie where he pulled a Brad Bird, where he completely just hammered it home and made a classic film in its own genre. And so I was hooked on the franchise ever since. And I compare them in my mind to the Fast and the Furious movies. There's like the first three, which are a separate entity that is like kind of self-contained and famous for something silly and very 2000 odds. Then there are the new ones where it just exponentially gets better every single film. And we're just along for the ride. And it's great. Uh, Hell yes, I would agree. Rain, your history. Uh, I probably have the least history. The only one I've seen besides the first one as of yesterday was uh, Fallout. And to be honest, when I saw it in the theater... Sorry, what? You watched the first one and the last one. That's funny. Yes, because my friends were like, oh, we gotta see it. And I always mean to see it. It just never happened. And I was a little disappointed, to be honest, when I saw Fallout, because I I was just expecting Tom Cruise, but uh, I was expecting Fast and Furious, but with Tom Cruise. So when I got something that wasn't too off the mark from that, but definitely not Definitely not that. I was a little disappointed. It took me um, took me like a couple days to really digest that movie and really appreciate it for what it was and what it was going for. Just as like sort of um, a modern answer to like just classic practical action movies and that sort of thing. And this movie um, it's really interesting because I haven't I don't know the other ones. I know of the other ones pretty well. It's interesting how well I thought this first one did that, too. Not to before we get into details about that. Yeah, that's sort of my thoughts. I always hear that the second one's the bad one. So, but I, but on the other hand, the third one always sound 
I don't know, it just what little footage I've seen of all of them, uh, three always looked the least interesting. Because it's really interesting to see, like, oh, let's get this director's take on um, just a classic action movie. That doesn't and, work for J.J. Abrams. Yeah, because <laughs> J.J., he's very... He's very reliable. Um, I want to. I want to say yeah. I like JJ, but he is very the corporate director. Yes, it, he can. It, he, he can do. He can do thrilling. He can do thrilling uh, action adventure stuff in his sleep, but it's not going to be. There's not going to be that special seal of approval, uh, director seal of approval that um, can really raise the bar. So those are. That's my thoughts on the series. For the record, Joe, uh, I still like three. I like all of them. I it's just one has to be at the bottom. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I, I, I'll say this about three as much as I will defend it. It's the second worst. I'll, I'll say that it's like two and three are kind of interchangeable between us. Three very much shows that it's J.J. Abrams' first feature film. That too. It's It was his first time directing a feature, which, wow, how weird. Yeah. I've got a question real quick. Does three compare to Cars two? Because another conversation that that's no. like this what, what, is the worst Pixar movie. You know, it, they're all good except for like Cars two. Is three as bad as Cars two? No, three is still a good movie. Cars two is a bad movie. Okay. <laughs> oh no. I, I mean, they're both spy movies, I guess. <laughs> no, with what the analogy Austin's going for, it doesn't really apply. Hmm. Uh, where it, they're all home runs, except oh, there's that one piece of crap. Right there. To put it in sports analogies, Ghost Protocol is a home run. Fallout's a home run. Rogue Nation's a home run. Three is like a solid line drive to a center field. It's a double. It's a double. It's, it's a double. And Mission Impossible 2 is a bunt. I, I guess for your analogy, sure. From what I know of the series, Joe is correct. Uh, my history of the franchise is Dude's Rock. Anyway, no. Bean um, <laughs> Rames rocks. That's the party on, dude. Uh, my history is actually eerily similar to Austin's. I also loved Minority Report when I was a kid. It is still one of my favorite Spielberg movies to this day. Yes. My first movie of the franchise was Ghost Protocol because as a kid, first off, Rain and I, I think both of us were born after Mission Impossible 1 came out. We were. Austin, Joe, I think same year. This was 96, 96 right? right? I, I was born the year before. So you were born in 95? I was born in 94. And you were born in 94, so... Like, uh, on the cusp of uh, 95 ending. So, so we were enough. both we were both either babies or in our father's ball sack still when this uh, movie <laughs> came out. Um, <laughs> so my introduction to the franchise was Ghost Protocol because growing up, you hear Mission Impossible. It's the Tom Cruise thing. It's Cruise doing Cruise stuff and it's it's fun. It's crazy. It's wow. So I was like, I'm going to watch Ghost Protocol and then Tom Cruise started climbing up the big tower in the Middle East and I got a fuck. I was fucking rock hard. I thought this, I thought this is incredible. Holy shit. This is awesome. Ghost Protocol is still my favorite movie in the franchise based bird. But that was my introduction to the franchise. And uh, around then, that's when I worked my way backwards. I watched, I watched in the weirdest fucking four, two, one, three. That is the order I watched the first four <laughs> movies in because that's when I could get my hands on them. The uh, the machete cut of the Mission Impossible franchise. <laughs> take that, take that, Star Wars. And let me tell you, Tom Cruise is hot as hell with long hair. This is why. He this looks... is why two rules. I like doves and I like long hair. 
Two has the best haircut for Tom Cruise. I will say. Thank that. you. I think he looks very silly with long hair. Rain, you look very silly with long hair. My point still stands. <laughs> he just immediately <laughs> shaves his head. Tanner doesn't like me. <laughs> but I feel like if we're going to talk about the franchise of Mission Impossible, we're probably also going to touch on this very briefly because I imagine, well, I'll have something to say, but Mission Impossible is based off of a TV show. It is. From the, Austin, correct 60s. me if I'm wrong, 80s, 60s. 60s, 60s. and 80s. Oh. It's based off of a TV show from the 60s and 80s. Or is it just two different shows? Like, is it a reboot revival thing? Yeah, it's like a reboot reboot revival thing. I believe some of the cast came back. They're both available okay. on Amazon Prime. Oh, they are? Actually, no. I'm a dumbass. Well, I might need to get on that. Anyway, has anyone here <laughs> seen a single episode of the Mission Impossible TV show? Uh, I haven't seen the show, but all I do have to say is it is interesting because... All I know of the show is apparently like all the cat when this movie was coming out, all the cast members from the TV show were like, like shitting on the movie. Like, oh, this is going to suck. Uh, don't know. No, poo, 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 poo. That's what they said uh, in an interview. Just poo, poo for an hour. Um, that's all. Joe, experience with the TV show, Vinny. My experience with the TV show is very limited. I, I maybe caught like a couple of episodes of it on like cable whenever like a new one of the Mission Impossible movies would come out and I enjoyed them for what they are but that that's really just kind of my experience I saw a couple of episodes and was like ah it's it's all right it's a it's a TV show Austin any experience if any no no I I've never seen the Mission Impossible TV show these are just movies to me I'm sorry so if you had asked me last night, I would have said the same thing. This morning, I watched a couple episodes of the TV show just to be like, what is this? And I realized, wait a fucking minute. I recognize this shit. And I, I, I texted my mom. I was like, yo, what's that one, like, spy show I watched a lot as a kid? And she told me, oh, that was Mission Impossible. And I went, what? <laughs> like, I'm talking little kid. I was like five. When I, I, apparently we had a season of the show on DVD and I would watch it all the time. I was obsessed with this show. Like th that was my two TV shows was Mission Impossible, apparently, and Full House. Those, those were, that was my jam. <laughs> That's such a contrast. <laughs> Who needs the yin yin yang? It explains everything you need to know about me as a person, I think. <laughs> so the holy, so the holy trinity is like a distant second to this yin and yang. Yeah, exactly. There's the Holy Trinity, and then there's this yin and yang. Um, the Holy Trinity, for those who don't know, is SpongeBob's the father, Shrek is the son, Vin Diesel's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, this is my childhood. I think that explains... Throw in a skateboard in Tony Hawk, and that explains me as a person. Um, but yeah, apparently I, I loved what little I saw of the TV show as a kid, and I just didn't realize it was Mission Impossible. Because unlike Full House, I stopped watching it because it wasn't on Nick at Night. And that was my exposure to a lot of old TV shows. George Lopez still haunts me in my dreams. Every sleepover, every sleepover, you wake up at like four in the morning and you hear that song by, by war. Oh, my friends is a low rider. And it's the trampoline um, people. I just go up, and then there's this weird fat man, like, oh, oh, don't eat me. Look, we should we should get a petition going on. Uh, put Mission Impossible, the TV series, on Nick at Night. <laughs> right the wrong. 
Yeah, I didn't expect that bit, uh, this uh, section to last long. But now we get to talk about Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. But before we talk about the movie, because Ethan also wanted me to tell this story. <laughs> when I was 13, I woke up on a Saturday morning in my underwear, not wearing pajamas. And for some inexplicable reason, I did a, I opened my door because the rest of my family was awake. I opened my door and I did a somersault out my door while doing and crashed into a wall. I had never seen a Mission Impossible movie at this point. That's how I broke my thumb when I was five. You did the same thing, underwear and all? Um, yes, except I was pretending I was Donatello from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. While humming the Mission Impossible thing. <laughs> Donatello! Wait, no, no, no. I was pretending I was pretending I was Raphael, but I only had the purple mask, so I was just oh, I'm pretending it's red. I just wanted to briefly touch on that. And uh, you know who directed Mission Impossible? Brian De Palma. Brian motherfucking De Palma. So, great thing you guys brought up, Mr. Mr. De Palma. Director of one of my favorite movies, uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Now Austin has to use any clip of Phantom of the Paradise, so this will be a good <laughs> podcast now. Anyway, Brian De Palma and Ralph Bakshi are revolutionary directors, individuals whose electric friends of thematic <laughs> elements and techniques have resulted in the exceptional and highly varied, if uneven, filmographies. This uneven quality is a frequently a result of both directors' approaches to storytelling, especially in their early work. That was a brief excerpt of Ethan's essay on Brian De Palma. Hmm. Joe, what do you think of the first Mission Impossible movie? I think, especially in the era that it came out, I think it's kind of fucking insane that this movie got made. Like, even trying to, like, piece together, like, how this, like, if you had pitched this movie today, even, just the fact that it would have gotten made would have been insane. The, the way that it got made. Because one of the things that I experienced while, uh, well, I, I kind of noticed this while I was re revisiting it. This movie is shot very old school. Like, th there's, like, an old school style of filmmaking to this while, like, also... Because, I mean, this was also the area, era where, like, CGI was in everything. So it's like they're blending, like, all of those effects in along with just, like, old school, like, practicals. And uh, you'd think they would have done that with the masks, but those aren't CG. Those are real. Like, holy shit, they're real. They actually made those masks in real life. It's insane. Rob Rob Bottin, the uh, the guy who did like all the visual effects for uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, worked on this. Uh, yeah, and it looks great. It looks really great. I have a lot to say about specifically how the way it's shot, but uh, keep going. What, what what more do you have to say? I, I I guess I can kind of talk about like a little bit of the history about this movie. So let me pull up her name real quick because um, I do believe that this was. Um, Tom Cruise's first work as producer. Yeah, I, th I, th I that's that's it. Paula Kaufman is who you're looking for. Paula Kaufman Wagner or Paula Wagner as she's credited on IMDb. Um, so this was their first collaboration. And I think this was also like Tom Cruise's like first action movie even because before this he was not known for It was. Yeah, oh okay, it was. So Top Gun but to be fair, Top Gun is a volleyball movie. It's not an action movie. Okay. Um, Don't you call something fucking Tony Scott worked on not an action movie. Oh, okay, fair. Um, you got me. <laughs> anyway, um, 
So Paula Wagner, Tom Cruise, they produced this movie together. It was Tom Cruise's first role as a producer. And he had a very specific list of demands for this movie. So for starters, he wanted Brian De Palma to make this, which for an action movie, I mean, great choice, by the way, it it was a great choice and it really paid off in the end. Um, But not a great choice on paper, though. With, like, his filmography. Yeah, not a great choice on paper, because when you look back at Brian De Palma's filmography, it, it feels insane that he would direct a gigantic blockbuster like this. And some of the choices that they end up making in the movie just sound so fucking insane. Like, like we'll probably talk about it a little bit more, but the Langley heist in general is insane to pitch. <sighs> And then he's getting like all of these like big stars at the time. Emilio Estevez, who isn't credited in the movie. He, he goes uncredited. Emilio! <laughs> <laughs> so Emilio Estevez, Kristen Scott Thomas, uh, Jean Renault. Tanner Richard Kraft. <laughs> yes, Tanner Richard Kraft before he was born. Just an x-ray of a ball sack. You get like all of these um, stars in a movie and then you just kill them off pretty quick. So it's insane to think about that. Also, the writing team of this. So this was written by Robert Town, who wrote Chinatown. <laughs> it was also co-written by David Kep, who uh, who's also he's, he, who's a little bit more familiar with blockbusters. I think he did like rewrites on it. Um, he, he wrote Jurassic it. Park. He, he wrote Jurassic Park. He wrote the first Spider-Man. He's the ninth most successful screenwriter in history, just by U.S. box office receipts. Nice. Our guy. Our guy. And then when you like think of like the action in this movie, l- l- let's compare it to another movie, that the, the movie that won the box office that year, Independence Day. Oh, You you pitch a Hold movie like up. this. Hold the fuck up. I do not want to hear any mission. I'm not I do not slamming. want to hear any Independence Day slander on this. I, well, I'm talking about Austin. Austin, I'm going to go over there and beat your ass. Mission Impossible's better. It is better. I'm going to give you a computer virus. That's going to kill your family. I mean, um, yes, it's better, duh, but I don't want to, I don't want anyone to fucking, fucking Independence Day, fucking jizzing, blowing up the White House. But yeah, um, when you consider like all of the action movies that came out around this time, so there's like Independence Day, there's like Michael Bay's early movies. So there's like Bad Boys, Armageddon, The Rock, Speed was also another big movie around that time. Like, these big, elaborate, like, explosive action movies. And the big action scene of this movie is Tom Cruise dangles from a roof and his forehead gets sweaty. That is insane. It's interesting you bring up that opening scene. Because re-watching this movie today, I realized, wow, that's, like, really subversive. They set up, they're like, it's going to be this big heist movie or something, and maybe something goes wrong and they have to do it. No, it's not just something goes wrong. It's... Everything goes wrong. They start off the wrong man trope by having an entire heist go south so fast. It's a, it's, and it's incredibly directed. It's so, it's very subversive. It's subversive. Like, it, it, especially because you see these big stars like Emilio Estevez. It's, it's like a scream was an action movie. Hostel lasagna, don't get any on ya. Red light, green light. It came out the same year as Scream too, I think. Holy shit, Rain's right. Yep. Uh, uh, uh. What a good year for subverting your expectations with big stars. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, also the year uh, Ryan Johnson was born. 
<laughs> what the fuck? That, that's an incredible. He joke. didn't deserve that. Hey, would you say that rain just subverted your expectations? Oh, where are my sunglasses? I just get shot off screen. The rest of the podcast is just a void. Ryan, neither of us know you. Come on the show. Oh, I have some sunglasses right here. Mr. All right, you have to keep those on now. Mr. Zweebelman. Mr. Mr. The Zweebs, if you will. Only my mother can call me that. What do you think of the first Mission Impossible movie? I hadn't seen it until last night. Yo, dog! I, I didn't know anything about it. Same. Nerds. I appreciate a couple things about Mission Impossible. Uh, from a production standpoint, it's absolutely crazy. One of my favorite ways to analyze movies so that even the worst ones are entertaining is just to think, how did they actually do this with real people? Like, you have to have some knowledge of how movies are actually made to do it, but it makes movies infinitely better. Like, there's a simple yes. there's a simple shot where I think... Uh, What's his name? Galitskin or whatever. The uh, the guy, the yeah, Galitskin. He's, yeah. he's in the basement. And like, I think he's reaching for a button. Someone's reaching for a button. And then the camera does this really crazy zoom back from the button. In fact, this movie is full of weird zooms that optically are very challenging to do. Like when the Mark during the Langley heist gets a little thing on his shoulder, they're like using macro lenses or some shit. This movie is really impeccably well made. Also, I like it because the raison d'etre isn't hidden in the movie. It's actually the title. And this is the first one. That wasn't like something that they developed over time. though, was that the missions actually had to sound impossible. They figured that out from the pitch. And that's what I love about the Mission Impossible movie is when you're like watching it for a first time, you're just like, I, I cannot figure out how they're going to do this until they actually do it in front of me. That's the fun. It's spelled out in the title. The mission sounds completely fucking impossible and they do it every time. And this was no exception. In fact, uh, yeah, for like a nineties movie and an early one, there's a lot of um, franchises where the start is really boring and you just kind of have to like brute force your way through the early ones. Whereas this one was fucking awesome. So I, I had an amazing time watching this. Yeah, I would still put it in my top three Mission Impossible movies, honestly. I, I love it that much. It is very good. Uh, it's funny. The, the the franchise kind of falls like it starts off here. And we go here and then we bottom out and then we go. Rain, what did you think of Mission Impossible 1, the movie, the TV show, the movie, the game, the movie? In retrospect, I really should have. Um, it was um a very similar the qualities I admired in Fallout, I found here in a lot of ways. It, it it was the same ethos that Mission Impossible Fallout, and I assume most of the other uh, films called. Like I um said, not to be repetitive, but this is very much um just taking this spy action thriller concept and just just using the fundamentals of good old action filmmaking, but then uh with little modern uh players thrown in, and it was really interesting just to see that, but. A for the you know circa the nineties and then B oh geez, but also seeing uh, Brian De Palma's take on that, which I haven't seen enough of his movies. Um, you know he did direct Watch one of the best out. movies, yes, and also and also Phantom of the Paradise. Haha! Now you saw a second clip of Phantom of the Paradise, people. Haha! Insert the <laughs> winner from Blowout. But yeah, even though I love. So, you know, I love some of the what what all I've seen of him. I I he would not have um, struck me as really an action director, which 
to be fair, most for the most part, this isn't really an action movie. It's more of a suspense movie. But when they it is more of a suspense thriller spy movie. Yeah, but when it does get into action, like when is straight action is very uh, compelling. And uh, like Austin said, yeah, I thought it was like a technical marvel. I love how he, how De Palma is basically Hitchcock, but on cocaine and also <laughs> hornier. Like, I think that's just it's it's real neat. I like it about as much as Fallout. And um, yeah, that's actually it. He's talking about the game when he says Fallout, by the way. that's He, he has no idea what Mission Impossible Fallout is. He's talking about the yeah. game series. Rain's very confused. He actually watched uh, the Ivan Child movie, whatever that thing that guy made, oh. the Russian, the Soviet director. Stalker? Yeah, I just watched Stalker. No, not Stalker. Stalker sucks. No, Ivan's Childhood by uh, Tarkovsky. Ivan's Childhood, yeah, but thank you. Ivan's Childhood is, isn't the one with nuclear stuff, so I thought... It has nuclear stuff no, in it, doesn't no, it? No, in, in Stalker, everyone got cancer because they filmed in irradiated places. Yeah, Ivan's uh, Childhood is about a childhood. With, with nukes. Yeah, also, I think at the end of The Sacrifice, it's a classic story. I think they were built, burning down a house, and they didn't get it on the first take, so they had to, like, yeah. redo the burning down the house thing, yeah. which is, is kind of similar to, like, the helicopter thing that we might talk about later in this movie. I'm actually about to bring that up right now. Oh, oh it's interesting it that up. you guys talk about the uh, technical aspects of it, because that helicopter, isn't that a lot of CGI? It's really the only scene with, like, heavy CGI. It heavy looks CGI. incredible for 96. It does. For 96. Like for, yeah, for 90s. I still thought, listen, that looked better than the fucking Goro CGI in the Mortal Kombat movie I watched a few weeks ago. It did. <laughs> it doesn't look great. Like, it's subpar for, like, today. The only time I didn't buy it was when they were on it. Like, when they were hanging off of it, that's the only time it looked fake to me. Tanner, the entire time, I bought it completely. Tanner, when they were hanging off it, that wasn't practical, actually, actual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. It looked, it looked the most fake when they were on the train in the in in the tunnel and the helicopter was, like, right by them. That's when it was fake. Yeah, I thought it looked fake when they were hanging off of it. That practical sucked. They should have done a better job. Have you have you all read articles on how they did this scene? There was actually a model helicopter. The helicopter's not always CGI. I don't do research. There, there was a model helicopter. I was going to say, did they pull an Alien 3 where everyone thinks, oh, this looks bad because it's CGI, and then no, it looks bad because it's uh, just awkward blue screen use. I'm saying the opposite. <laughs> I'm like, this looks good because it's CGI. I, I think it's like a blend of like that whole scene is like a blend of uh, obstacles with blue screen. Because I know they built like an actual helicopter for Tom Cruise to climb on with John Voight. There's like a miniature one that they blew up. And then there's, of course, the CGI one. So I think it's like a interesting little mix of like all these effects. I knew the one that blew up was a miniature that I knew. I just want to touch on that because that climax, that scene still looks great. It looks great to this day. You buy it completely. Again, even though I guess it was when it was practical, I wonder if it was a lighting thing because I thought the lighting looked weird. When they were hanging off of the practical helicopter, that's when I thought I didn't buy it because I, I thought the lighting looked off for me. I, um, I, I want to say this about that scene, though. As great as it is as they shot it, you know if they made that movie today, like Tom Cruise would actually hang off of an actual bullet train. Oh yeah, no, he would actually hang off of an actual fucking helicopter. Yep. He already hung off an airplane. Yeah, like he, he would hang off an airplane. He'd hang off a helicopter. He'd hang off a freaking bullet train. Th there's no way. It was interesting because 
Oh, we exist in a world with Tom Cruise now. I was actually like very scared watching it last night because I was thinking this is a lot more dangerous than the other stunts in like the later movies to practically do. I was I was scared shitless because of his reputation that he's garnered over the years. I was worried that like young baby Tom Cruise was actually using suction shit on a bullet train. It was it was scarier. Yeah, that's probably the most dangerous. I don't know. He actually did hung, hang off a side of a plane that was taking off. No, I can figure out ways that you do that safely. A fucking bullet train like that? You can't figure out a bullet. You know what? That's fair. No. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's you You can't figure out ways to do the plane safely because they did do it safely. There was no way Cruz was going to get hurt doing that. By the way, fun fact. Do you know how Tom Cruise keeps getting away with it? He keeps firing the insurance people, right? And like getting nope. new ones. He made his own insurance company. It is. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. <laughs> no, I, I heard this. From he said that apparently his workaround, it was like the Burj Khalifa thing was the breaking point for his insurance company at that point. Um, And then Tom Cruise was like, no, I'm tired of this. Made his own insurance company. So now he has to ask himself permission to almost die on sex. <laughs> that's incredible. Hey, Tom. Yes, Tom. I want to climb the world's tallest building on like a harness. All right. Go do that. <laughs> For the newest movie, uh, they're, I think they're having him run on top of a train as it's crashing off a bridge. They're building the site as we're recording this podcast. So he's going to pull some Buster Keaton shit with a train. I am hyped. I want to see that right now. Holy shit. Back to this one, though. Uh, that last action scene is really, really engaging. But you know what I really... There are a couple things I specifically want to tap on. Three things, actually. But the third thing will actually sort of... We'll get into that. The way this movie is shot, the cinematography is fucking incredible. Holy shit. When I was watching it last night, I was just like, this is so fucking good. You know, I came. I saw and I came. This this movie has... And I came. Anyway, um, th this movie has like the ultimate um, scene that I would like teach in a film school as far as like trying to convey uh, something going completely awry in a scene and like visually capturing it. It's the scene like after that big heist fails um, and he goes to meet up with uh, Kittredge at, at the uh, at the restaurant. Incredible. The cinematography there is incredible. Like and you always the, the, get the sense that something's wrong. It's like, it's just like low angle, like tilted. It's like when, when that shot hits, you know, something is up. That is the ultimate like film school scene right there. And I think film schools should use that scene as a method of teaching how to build suspense. Sorry, I was going to say it is weird. Like Brian De Palma seems like one of those, like, like one of the quintessential film bro directors, but you don't really hear film bros talk about him that much. You don't. It's weird. Yeah, he's actually good. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> that shot where he goes, this whole operation is like, oh, incredible. There's, I love the way this film uses tilting your camera, like like Dutch angle shit, very effectively. It is the mm -hmm. anti-Thor in that regard. <laughs> I was going to say, take note, Kenneth Branagh. Oh, wait, this oh. came out before Thor. This existed when before Thor. Why didn't he take note then? <laughs> When there's a Dutch angle, it's purposeful. It adds to the scene. It's never distracting. And 
Brian De Palma uses it a lot in the movie. There are a lot of shots that are kind of at a Dutch angle, but it, yep. it, it never feels wrong. It always feels right. There's that specific shot when he's like, one of the first shots when he's like going through all the Bible websites, which me and my dad were fucking making fun of that so hard. Just this guy <laughs> going to just, I'm just imagining someone opening their email account. and like, what the fuck? Cause he emails like 20 people yeah. <laughs> until he gets a hit. But there's a specific scene where it's like, like it dollies in, zooms in on him using the computer. And it's then it, it starts to tilt as it's moving in. And it just completely sucks you into Ethan Hunt's state of mind and how fucking panicked he is. It rules. It's actually awesome. Uh, the, the cinematography is just top notch. It's incredible. And second thing I want to tap into is Cruz and the performances in general. Everyone in this movie brought, brought their fucking A game. Except Cruz at times. <laughs> yeah, I have a problem with one scene because it's very much I produced the movie and everyone's kind of being out of touch right now. Claire comes back and he's freaking out naturally. He's been freaking out all night. And then there's a shot where he's holding her over a bed. And yeah, I thought they were going to start fucking. I, I could not tell what the I hell was going on. I had seen the movie on. before and I thought they were going to start fucking. It wasn't as much a question in my mind if there was like some kind of uh, like sexual tension there. I just thought it didn't work. I was wondering how people got through all the cuts of that movie and were like, yeah, let's have this keep going this long. It, it, it just seemed odd. It was honestly probably uh, De Palma being, being De Palma. De Palma. It's being a horn dog. Well, yeah, this movie's really horny. Like, yeah. This movie's exceptionally horny. Every time a woman dies, Cruz, I, I feel like Cruz is about, the way Cruz holds dead women's bodies in this movie makes me feel like he's about to go throw necrophiliac and start fucking. <laughs> again, <laughs> again, look at the director. Yeah, I get it. De Palma's horny. I can still make fun of Tom Cruise. I don't even know if Tom Cruise like has, I don't even know. I wouldn't be. He's either gay or asexual. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same. That, or that's what I expected. There's a specific scene where he's like in the limo with Maxine and he has this big cheesy fucking grin on his face. And that was just like one of the few times in a movie in recent memory when I went, why is this actor making this choice? Why does he have this big, stupid, cheesy grin? He's just the entire time in the limo. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I know what scene you're talking about. I was a little... Wasn't that kind of weird? <laughs> yeah, a little. He was going to fuck that old lady. That was the whole... That was how he got in, okay? He was just leading her on. That's the thing with Cruz. He's like either asexual or gay, but every woman he meets in a movie, he has incredible sexual tension with. I don't know how he does it. The man's an enigma. There's one scene I specifically want to tap into. The Langley heist, where they get the knock list. I just want to tap into my thoughts specifically, and then I'll get to the rest of you. It is a masterclass of tension and putting you on the edge of your seat. When I watched that scene last night, I have seen this movie before. My father had seen this movie before. Him and I were kind of talking throughout the movie. It's not like when we saw Tom Clancy's Without Remorse where him and I were just making fun of it the entire time. No, this <laughs> one, we were kind of making fun of it sometimes, mostly because they're like <laughs> old 90s thing when they didn't understand computers. I will say, though, the scriptwriters of this knew their stuff because a lot of the computer terms they use is actually accurate for the time. But um, oh. risk processors, that's a real thing. I'm talking about the 686 prototypes with the artificial intelligence risk ship. And when they said that, I went, oh, that's a that's a real thing. 
but that Langley scene, my father and I, we had, we were shutting the fuck up. We were just on the edge of our seats. Like, Oh, Oh, cause they do a great job of setting it up with like the, the drink and seeing the drink droplet set it off. And it's perfect. setup. what other movie has fucking sweat droplets slowly go to the edge of your glasses, make you be like, I'm going to push my pants. <laughs> like, Masterclass of tension in a scene. De Palma's a fucking master. And this shows right here. It seems specifically like that that make me think De Palma was such a perfect choice for this movie. That and every time there's a, a split diopter, split diopter, right? Yeah. Split diopter shot. It's always so perfect, especially after the Langley scene. We're like on the right side of the frame. They're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. I want that guy in Alaska with his underwear. And in the background, he's just standing there like. Mm-hmm. It looks funny. <laughs> it's, 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 it's comedy in the way it's shot. It's funny because of the way it's shot. Like, yeah, what he's like, like what Kittred says is kind of funny, but it's just specifically the way it's shot. It's funny with him in the background and full focus like. Derp, 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 is it's funny. It's funny. So just the way. That Langley scene in general, though, is just incredible. Every shot is perfect. Every cut is perfect. It's a masterclass of tension filmmaking. When, when a Russian guy lets go, I, I just about jumped out of my seat. And I had seen this movie before. I know what's going to happen. And I am still tense. Joe, go ahead and spiel on about it for five minutes. That man is French. That man is French. Yeah. Jean Reno is French. Russian guy. <laughs> Rush, ru- yeah, he's a French Russian. Anyway, um, so I, I, I want to ask a question. Like, well, imagine pitching this scene as your big action spec. Like, this is the big scene of the movie. Like, imagine pitching this to a producer and saying the entire thing is silent, and Tom Cruise has to get a floppy disk and has to prevent sweat from like falling off of his forehead there's no guns fired nobody's punching each other the most violent thing that like the most violent part of that whole scene is jean renault kills a rat off screen that that's literally it that's about as far as the action goes i don't know the vomit vomiting was pretty violent <laughs> that, yeah that is true <laughs> uh, that that man had some really bad uh vomiting issues but um if you were a producer today and somebody pitched you this, would you say yes? Probably no. Uh, I would because I'd be like, oh, it's like Mission Impossible. Well, it, <laughs> well <laughs> I know, I know. It's a joke. Like, had this movie not exist, you probably would have to fight to get a scene like that made. And it's honestly just kind of insane just how, um, like, amazing that scene turned out because... Yeah, that whole thing is fucking silent, too. Like, there's no score. A lesser director would have filled that up with music. And it's Wait. a masterwork that De Palma didn't. I'll say this. First off, the, the as far as, like, score for this movie, I was surprised at how little there was. Yeah. Like, the, there, there's not that much use of score in this, which I think was... It, it's very interesting considering where the series goes and how much score is used. Honestly, kind of made me miss it. But, um... Yeah, the the whole thing is silence and just anticipation just like slowly builds. It's like things begin to go wrong fast. The rat comes into the vent. Um, 
Split diopter shot. The uh, the uh, rope falls off of the hinge. Somebody comes back into the room. Tom Cruise is uh, literally like inches away from hitting the floor, which, uh, fun fact, I learned this. When they like got that, when they were shooting that like shot of him, like hit, almost like hitting the floor, like he would actually hit his head on the floor when uh, when doing that take. The way that he was able to balance it out to where he wasn't touching the floor, he put coins in his shoes. That, that, that's, that's, awesome. how, that's how he was able to balance himself out and not hit the floor. So I had to hook me up, hang me, put a couple of pounds in each shoe, and it worked. And uh, Brian just left me hanging there and hanging there just to get all... We had three different cameras going. and uh, So yeah, the, the rope falls, and he's like inches away from the floor. There's the sweat droplet. And then I'll never forget this. And like like Tanner had mentioned, I have seen this scene several times. When that fucking knife dropped, I just screamed, oh, no. Every time you're like, no. Every time. Every single time. It's like, it's that effective. You could see that scene a million times. And then when that knife drops, you just lose it. Austin, what do you think of the Langley heist? You ever notice this movie has like a 60-something on Rotten Tomatoes? Isn't that weird? Yeah, fucking what? idiots. What the hell? What? I that saw is that. Weird. It has a 64%. That's yeah. weird. It, it's it's strange. You got to like put yourself in the mindset of the critics at the time, but it's really hard because we're cooler than them. Uh, like one of the things that the Langley heist has that is not quite, you know, um, I guess how you would probably do it is there's like a butt monkey in the scene. There's like a guy who gets poisoned and there's like silly comedy going on where he's constantly throwing up. And there's this really implausible <laughs> moment. That. There's this really implausible moment where he unlocks the door just in time so that the sensors don't get set off. If I'm remembering correctly. Yes. And critics seem to have a big problem with that, that there was anything where it wasn't like 100% premeditated and super thought out so that like there was some element of chance in the scene. And it's it's strange because I guess it, it just gives the um, it gives the series character. And I, I, I guess I, I personally like that more. The whole scene is, you know, super iconic. It was fun finally getting to see it not as a parody. And uh, I, I I don't know why, but as time went on, I, I guess that thing that made the critics hate it back when this came out just kind of disappeared for some reason. Further analysis required. Rain, Langley heist. Honestly, you guys said everything I could possibly say about it, so you can just get me. Well, you are Brian De Palma, so what did you... Put, put me in your headset when you were directing this scene. Ah, uh, well... And that's all the time we have for Brian De Palma! <laughs> There's one last thing I want to talk about because I feel like this is somehow kind of like been forgotten in the annals of history is that this movie kind of has a big twist in it because Mm -hmm. not only is John Voight's character who plays a mentor type in the beginning of the movie, not only is that, oh, yo, dog, it's like, oh, the, the guy that Tom Cruise trusted, he's a bad guy. John Voight plays the main character of the TV show. That's the character he's playing. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people at the time who hated the movie for that. Because the main character of their childhood TV show being a piece of shit who sells out his country? What the fuck? We don't, none of us give a shit about it, but. They they would have hated it even more because originally the opening heist was going to feature like 
a lot of recurring characters from the TV show, like the side characters and everything, but a lot of them like opted out because they were like, no, this is stupid. Well, they were wrong because it rules, but I think one of the cast members said that it was like signing up to commit suicide in an interview. Yeah, I, I do remember that. Like, I get it. I get why the cast would be upset. Like, I get it. It's like, yo, what the fuck? That's what? Like, I understand that to an extent. Do you guys think that the grand reveal of it was John Voight, it was Donald Trump all along? Do you guys think that think that uh, twist still works for you on an emotional level just because of how much I think Cruz and Voight sells that mentoree relationship? Joe, I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that twist works still because um, they – they, they try their best to like kind of like set a few things up for you to kind of pick up uh, as you go along. That's also just kind of one of the other things I noticed is there's a lot of information just dropped in this movie to where you have to be paying attention in order to pick up on things. But yeah, no, there's, there is enough set up to where it's like, it is an effective twist. I, I, I kind of, well, I kind of do and I kind of don't. I, I, I kind of wish that I could watch this movie with uh, having seen the TV show beforehand and being like a big fan of it and watching this for the first time. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how my opinion would be like different if I had that kind of experience. But then again, knowing me as a person, I doubt it would have affected me that much. But eh, I, I think it's an effective twist. Austin? There's a really underrated movie. Actually, Melissa McCarthy's one of her few good movies. It's called Spy. And um, they have this exact same twist in Spy down to like, you know, the person with the point of view glasses, putting the blood on themselves, pretending to get shot. So unfortunately, I knew what was going on the whole time. That's, uh. like, that's the reason, same reason this doesn't really, that twist doesn't really work so much for me because it is, while Cruz and Void have great chemistry, it's just, it's a really done to death uh, trope for these sort of movies, to be honest. Oh, it's the Seinfeld isn't funny effect. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And yeah, and 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 Austin is right. Uh, Spy is like Miss L- Melissa McCarthy's like one like really good movie. Okay, if she's the only one, yeah. But I also really like Bridesmaids. Okay, yeah. As far as like solo movies, yeah, Plus, Bridesmaids. I, I just picture. How the fuck did we bring this up in a Mission Impossible box? Spy movies. All right. I, anyway, yeah. Let's continue. I just picture John Voight, the CIA agent in a car, just talking like, the country's gone to shit, the PC people have fucked everything, the CIA can't even be cool anymore. <laughs> just on YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's funny <laughs> watching the movie now, because I think we all are aware, John Voight is actively a piece of shit. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just, you're just like, yeah, get fucked! <laughs> oh, another thing. This movie makes the CIA seem as evil as they actually are. Oh my god, Patrice Lumumba's ghost is kind of laughing at this film. Fuck the CIA. Uh, though it is the IMF. I don't think the CIA is in this movie at all. What? They said CIA a bunch of times. They, they do That's, say the CIA. Isn't, isn't yeah, Lang- but, it, but, that, but Ethan's a part of the IMF. Sure. Yeah, but the Langley, organization. The Langley heist. Grant, I was... I was a little confused watching this. I'm brave enough to admit that, but I'm pretty sure the link, like that was, that was the, that was the CIA. That's the CIA place. Okay. Maybe I was wrong. I was wrong in that. I was under the impression it was IMF. That's who they were stealing from. I could be wrong. I figured Cruz was stealing from his own agency. I think the twist really, really works because I think Voight, Cruz sells it so hard. You feel his heartbreak, his pain. He sells it so hard. 
He sells it so hard that it's kind of impressive that Voight's character doesn't catch on to it in the diner. When, like, Cruz looks like he's about to fucking cry and John's like, yeah, Kittridge or whatever. Or even when he's like, why, Jim? Why? And and, and Voight's just like, yeah, because his wife doesn't fuck him anymore. Um, so... One last thing before we uh, end the podcast here. I want to welcome you back to Tanner's Trivia Corner. A few uh, interesting pieces of trivia with this movie. Uh, Joe already thankfully got through a lot of what I was going to talk about. But I uh, just a few little silly funny things. Uh, for example, uh, Mission Impossible 1 was the last major motion picture from a major studio to be released for home video on the Betamax video cassette format. It was also the only film in the Mission Impossible franchise where Ethan Hunt doesn't fire a gun once. Not even once does he fire a gun. There's a shot in the trailer of these movies of Ethan and Claire kissing really passionately. And it's also actually in the brief opening snippet of the movie, which, by the way, spoils like seven plot points of the movie if you pay attention to the opening. It's not in the movie at all. It's uh, the first movie to have a release of over 3,000 theaters in the United States, which is crazy because nowadays with these big blockbusters, you really keenly see 4,000, hell, I think even 5,000 theaters. But this is the first one where uh, this was uh, over in 3,000 theaters. It was a huge, huge deal at the time. Tom Cruise did most of his own stunts, duh. But what was really cruisy is that this movie was on time, under budget. De Palma's a master. Uh, development on this movie actually started in 1986, long before Tom Cruise was ever attached. However, in 1988, there was a classic Writers Guild of America strike, which meant that Paramount Pictures instead produced a television revival, which is the 80s show. One of the reasons Brian De Palma agreed to do this is because he needed a hit, like a commercial hit, which I think is funny. Uh, yeah, that's really all I have in terms of uh, trivia so any final thoughts on the movie overall guys uh, i'll start with you joe i still love it i think uh i think this holds up spectacularly well even with uh, the very dated computer talk of this that, that that was kind of fun to watch just how much of a relic this movie is and then how it would progress later on it's still a very fun solid action movie that i think more people should see if they haven't but it's also a very popular movie, so I doubt most people haven't seen it. Good time. <laughs> it, yeah, it was surprisingly good for how old it was. All right. Thank you guys for watching slash listening to this podcast, depending on whether or not you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of the audio platforms we're featured on. Thank you for tuning in. If you're listening on one of those platforms, please make sure you're following our podcast. And if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, make sure you like the video comment below what do you think of the first mission impossible movie and more importantly do you want us to do the rest of the franchise i'm pretty sure all of us would be down to talk about at least each of the movies in this franchise it will probably take us years to get through all of them but if you're down for that let us know uh of course like and make sure that you hit that bell icon if you want to know when we upload our videos and i know you want to know i know you i know what you want so go ahead and hit that bell icon so overall, thank you very much for watching, guys, and I will see you next time. Peace, bitches.